Hey everyone, welcome to our first ever episode of Unedited, the fortnightly podcast where we will explore the opportunities and challenges the retail industry is facing. Brought to you by Grace Hill and Vicky Giles. From fashion, beauty and homeware, Grace and I will cover industry topics and shed light on how retailers can create a brighter future. Hey Vicky. Hello Grace, this is very exciting. Our first episode of Unedited and we're kicking things off with a bang with our first guest. Grace, do you want to share with our listeners who we have on today's episode? Yes. So today we're thrilled to have Lauren Invick, Editor-in-Chief of Vogue Business, here with us. We're going to be discussing the relevance of Runway and where it's heading in 2020 and what are brands doing to evolve the concept of Runway. Yep, it's going to be a packed episode. But before we kick things off, Grace, what industry news has sparked your interest over the past weeks? Well, over the past few weeks, I think I've developed a bit of a J-Lo obsession. She broke the internet again when she closed the Versace show in Milan. Um, Google Images was actually born off the back of that Grammy look back in 2000. Uh, And with that, we saw tropical prints be a key motif in Milan for spring 20. But more importantly, we're seeing J-Lo crop up as the Halloween outfit choice for this year with brands like Fashion Nova leading the charge with their Love Don't Cost a Thing dress. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Grace, but this was going to be your outfit of choice for this Halloween, wasn't it? Well, it was a front runner, but I don't think I've got enough boob tape. I don't think there is enough boob tape, Grace. So make sure you check out our Prepping for Halloween report. Also, we've seen rental services grabbing headlines with the announcement that Ganny and Fashion to Figure will be joining the rental movement. And also her collective is launching a pop-up store in London. This coincided with the unfortunate news that Rent the Runway, a pioneer in this field which launched back in 2009, is pausing its services due to logistical problems. So where am I now going to find that Oscar de la Renta dress for my cousin's wedding? It's a real conundrum, Grace. I know it really is. But what else has been happening in the world of retail, Vicky? So the Duke and Duchess of Sussex were on their royal tour of South Africa. And Meghan was back in her staple printed midi dress, no doubt fueling this trend for months to come. On the back of huge success throughout spring, summer 19, Edited has already seen mentions of the trend appear heavily in fall 19 communications from the likes of Topshop, Anthropology, and Mango. And of course, we have the autumn iteration of Zara's viral polka dot dress. In my head, I'm wearing my midi dress with knee-high boots this autumn, but actually in reality, I seem to be ridiculously attached to my sneakers, so I think I'll be taking a casual approach to the trend, Grace. Well, I cannot wait to see the office fashion show. Also, the 71st Emmy Awards took place, and the purple carpet fashion did not disappoint, with plenty of inspiration available for all your occasion wear needs. Maybe that's where we actually start looking for the replacement dress for your cousin's wedding, Grace. I think that sounds like a good idea, Vic. Pastels, a perennial favourite, were key. And there was a definite penchant for the pink and red colour combination seen on the lights of Mandy Moore. As ever, these awards shows give a great indication of trends for occasion wear. So if you're an edited user, check our Translating Trends for Teens report in Edited. Anyway, enough of us, Grace. Our guest this week was previously Head of News and Features at Vogue International, collaborating with the Vogue digital teams globally. Prior to Vogue, Lauren was Editor-in-Chief of Fashionista in New York and a Business Editor at Mashable. 
Her work has also appeared in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal and Fast Company. She is now the Editor-in-Chief at Vogue Business and we are absolutely delighted to have her as our first guest on the podcast. Welcome to you on Editor. Thank you so much for having me. More than welcome. How are you? I've just gotten back from Paris. So as I said, I think I have a little bit of fashion week jet lag, but no, happy to be here and in London and talking to you guys about fashion month. Yes, delighted to have you here. And what a glamorous kind of jet lag that must be to have. Absolutely. <laughs> so Lauren, with spring 2020 shows having wrapped up, we'd love to take this opportunity to discuss the relevance of runway today and where it's heading in the future. So in your opinion, what is the purpose of runway shows today? I think that's really two questions. The first is why are brands paying to host fashion shows? And secondly, why do people, press, buyers, influence, etc., why do they still go to fashion shows? A show costs a lot of money. Uh, we've surveyed a lot of different designers about this, but about a hundred grand if you're showing in New York, uh, plus the cost of samples, which can be another 150 grand. So that's a that's a significant investment. And if you're a mega brand, of course, you're looking more at you know, near a million or well into seven figures. You know, when you ask designers, why do they show? The answer is never because I'm going to make a lot of money from this experience. Um, you know, it's because they want to. They, you always hear, uh, you know, they want to communicate their vision. They want to bring people together. They want to show the power of the brand. Branding is a big thing that comes up. You know, similar to the way that a musician wants to get up on stage and perform or an artist wants to go to a gallery and show their work. And, um, you know, it, it also, it drives awareness and it leads to new things. We, you know, we did a story on how much a runway show costs. We broke it down with a few designers. And, you know, one of the things that Christian Siriano said was, you know, without the show, people have never known that I was trying to change fashion. Of course, there's been a lot of press about him and inclusivity and diversity and everything he's done on the red carpet. Uh, but secondly, he was like, I also got you know, the, the pay less deal through my show. But he's like, you know, at the end of the season, when I show my investors, it doesn't actually impact the sales of the collection, but it does do so much for the brand overall. So it's their platform to share their vision and to talk about, you know, moments that are important to them and, and the business. Absolutely. I mean, that is communicating the, the season show. Like, you know, it's not that buyers are go, sitting in the show deciding what looks they want to you know, buy that's going to happen in the showroom, but they are getting a sense of what is the collection, what is the vision, and then how do they communicate that to customers once this collection hits the shop floor. That's really interesting that you mentioned that about buyers, and I know historically that was kind of the purpose of runway shows, or one of the key purposes was for buyers to see the collection and and to make their orders following that. But still is, yeah, it's still a big part of it. Yeah. But then they go into the showroom afterwards, and that's kind of a key fundamental. But that's always what's happened, right? Because you've yeah. got the runway collection, and you know more of the runway collections now selling because it has greater exposure. But also because there's you know there's platforms like Moda Operandi where you can buy the runway looks. Yeah. Historically, you know, yes, you might buy a few runway pieces, but it's really the commercial collections that were only shown in the showroom. Those still do drive the majority of sales for most brands, at least when it comes to ready to wear. I just want to talk a little bit about, you talked a, a, about, you know, innovation on the runway and, and, and trying to change the industry. How do you think um, a runway show sort of differs between your more heritage and luxury brands and how they compare with people like Richard Quinn, for example, who are trying to innovate on the runway? I mean, the budgets are different <laughs> and, and what they're trying to achieve is different. You know, if you're Burberry showing a brand, most of your clothes are being sold to your own buyers. So that's a very different proposition. It is a big branding moment. They have beautiful live streams. They are going out on lots of platforms and reaching 
think they claim that they reach millions of people globally. Someone like Richard Quinn doesn't have a bespoke live stream. He depends on wholesale sales, and this is really where he's going to establish partnerships and impress himself within the industry. So one is much more speaking to consumers than the other, and again, very different budgets. So you mentioned, obviously, the reach of those brands like Burberry and how that differs to somebody like Richard Quinn. Um, so what are brands' kind of current engagement strategies for Runway and kind of what is a winning formula? How can they, brands, build buzz and really stand out in a, a very saturated fashion week schedule? We actually just did a story about that during New York Fashion Week, uh, talking to different publicists and strategists about, you know, how are they really maximizing this investment that they're making. Uh, things that they told us, you know, it's so important ahead of the show to actually tease that it's happening. If you're going to be capturing online, let people know what it's going to happen, that it is coming. Um, make sure, you know, that if you are going to do a live experience that you put it on Instagram. Not everyone loves that live stream Instagram experience, but... The, you know, the app is doing a lot to promote those live streams right away. So if you do want to reach a lot of people, that's a great way to do it. Or do shorter video clips, loop them, find ways to put that up on Instagram, on your email newsletters, etc. Uh, also thinking about where your customer is, what platforms they're using. It's not just your website, your email newsletter, Instagram, WeChat, Weibo, Line, brands like Tory Burch are using all those platforms now. Uh, brand collaborations are another way to sort of generate buzz, uh, whether that's what you're doing sneakers or you partner with someone to do shoes. That can be a nice uh, moment where you get lots of um, different interaction. It creates a news moment that someone's going to write about. And then there's the question of the, the post-show. Okay, this has happened. Now, maybe you had a moment. Maybe you were Richard Quinn this season and people said, you know, the, the fantasy is back and this is wonderful, then how do you make sure that you line up that press and those opportunities afterwards? So, you know, again, just not thinking about that as a single moment, but extending it out and trying to reach your customers, but also the industry where they are. And how do you think brands are innovating the actual current format of the fashion show? So, for example, we have Rihanna putting on basically a music concert to, mm -hmm. to, to promote Savage by Fenty. That's one example. Um, who, in your opinion, have been the real kind of innovators on the runway this season and, and what makes them stand out? I mean, I think that was a really great example. Uh, I, I saw that more in the context of what Victoria's Secret Fashion Show was doing versus what Fenty was doing. That was really, really powerful. I think for me, what surprises me is how little the format has changed. Like, yes, you see the way that it's staged for Instagram moments. Uh, and like, there are those very strong images that they now create that they hope will be captured and shared everywhere. But, you know, the show's <laughs> it's still models walking down a runway quite quickly, much quicker than they used to. And, uh, you know, they, they walk down once, they do a finale, the designer comes out, they bow. That's it. It's the same format. Uh, I, 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 would love, I would love to see more innovation there. But also, you know, for me, the most, the most special moments that you can have, actually, Oscar Dorento, when he was alive, he used to invite maybe 15, 20 people uh, to his studio and he would sit down and the model would come out one by one and he had this sort of long stick and he would, he would point out each of the elements of the dress or the coat and explain how it was made, what he was trying to achieve and you could ask questions while that was happening. Mm -hmm. It was very leisurely. Joseph Althusser now does something very similar with his off-season collections. But I got so much more out of that experience because you had the time to close, because it was a dialogue, because you learned so much more about the craft. Most critics, of course, don't know how to make clothes. So, 
unless you have a you know technical experience in pattern making, you're going to miss that. Yeah. So for me, I it's it's not even about innovation or 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 something sort of flashy and showy, but actually how do you teach people as much about the collection as you can? I would love to see that brought to a full season experience. That's interesting because I think didn't Victoria Beckham start by doing that? She would have, mm-hmm. rather than do a full runway show, she would invite press and customers into the showroom and talk them through her inspiration behind the collection and she's actually moved from that to the runway collection I think that's an interesting sort of movement uh, between the two almost like the first one was seen as a precursor to having your very own runway spectacular and of course you know labels do do that they'll bring someone in if their collection's ready early to see the fittings and ask those questions but I think bringing that to a show format opening that up to more people where they could see that process and the dialogue would be I, don't, I would be really interested. Well, I think there were, I mean, especially at London Fashion Week this, this month, um, there were a lot of more sort of Q&A sessions and things that kind of happened. Um, discussion panels, yeah. Yeah, I think that education piece is really interesting and kind of what are the opportunities with us, you know, you know the buzz and the awareness that Runway brings and there are some really, you know, important issues that, are coming to life on the runway you know obviously Gabriella Hurst and sustainability how mm-hmm. could brands use that forum potentially to educate not only consumers but the press and um, industry and that's such a great point because unless you're going to do extensive show notes which I don't know how many people read show notes you're not going to know how those things were made or what's innovative about them so yeah exactly how do you bring that education element to the consumer and also get them passionate about the clothes as a result because they will know something about how they are made in the process they're not just going to have an aesthetic response and it's such an immersive experience isn't it being there and and you've got those uh, everyone's attention captured in that moment so i feel like there's a lot of impact so we'd love to get your take on the British Fashion Council's uh, decision to invite the public to um, runway shows. Well, I, I didn't actually see one of those shows. I think the British Fashion Council has looked for many years and tried many different things to get the public more involved. I think, you know, if you, when I first started coming to London Fashion Week in around 2011, they used to have the showrooms where people could come in and they could buy last season samples and go talk to some of the younger designers and that was really great i think anything that you can do to bring more of the customer in to stage those things and let the public have that experience um, is a really good thing however i don't know how those shows performed or whether they're for sales or or whether they're going to continue initiative but it is great to see the bfc continue to try new things absolutely um you know we've heard commentary um around you know paid access to um, designer show could devalue exclusivity for luxury brands. Mm-hmm. So I guess what's your opinion on that? I mean, paid access is happening already if you consider how many clients are typically in a show. So I think I can understand where someone might think it's a bit naff to sell a ticket to their show. Not every brand's going to want to do it. But of course, you know, there are other times where I remember when Givenchy like opened up their show in, in New York on 9-11 to a big part of the public or this season Courage did their show on the river and you had editors all sitting on one side and then you had anyone who was walking by opening up a bottle of wine and watching the show on the other like that that is really really great um, when you can open that up or if you bring students in or like Roxanda brought her daughter's class to her show this season that is a very, very cool. sweet thing to see yeah <laughs> no you definitely want to be in her daughter's class with you. <laughs> yeah. but I think you know, I think Opening up, letting other people have that live experience, especially the people who are most passionate about your brand, 
is a great thing to do. Yeah, I think to build that relationship with the consumer, which you may not, you know, your loyal brand followers. Right. And actually the way that we do events right now at Vogue Business is we don't advertise them at all. We just, we go through a list of our most engaged readers, the people who've opened the most newsletters, who are reading the most stories, and that's how we decide who comes to all of our events. I think, you know, brands have that same data at their fingertips. How do you get those people more involved? It's almost like creating a community around what it is that, exactly. that, that your, your brand and, and, and making sure that people feel heard and that, you know, again, that that education piece could, could quite easily be part of the conversation if you're creating that group of people around you who are, just big fans at the, at the heart of it. Yeah. I love seeing the clients there. You want to know, like, because not everyone can visualize, you know, who is the customer. We can actually see the customer there. That can be a really powerful thing. So we know that the show attendees will be Instagramming everything uh, that's going on, but how can brands really make the greatest impact through this channel? You know, like some of those hype moments that we've seen. Yeah. You know, like Some of them are engineered, yes. for sure. And like some, like, Chanel's gate crasher today that you just cannot, you couldn't like, thank you. I hope Chanel's very pleased. Like that's just like <laughs> such nice exposure just for that like show. like Gigi's kind of response to her was like, let's go this way. <laughs> it was a genius. Like JLo was obviously just like, just that had taped that had came together for over a year. So something like that is so manufactured they know how to maximize the other things you've got are a bit more serendipitous. But it was good, wasn't it? Um, it was great. It, it was, was a great moment. I also felt like an idiot for not figuring it out because there was like they sent this um, jungle print sort of flip book and then it, it was some sort of like Google image search and I was like, oh, I guess Google sponsored the show and just like threw it away. Oh, and, oh and that would have been there, great. And the big is happening and I was like, finally, and then I saw the jungle pieces and I was like, huh. And then she came out and I was like, you're an idiot. Like, you should be paying better attention. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. So interested to get your take on how you think uh, influencers and celebrities have changed runway shows. We obviously had JLo at Versace. We had Pretty Little Thing doing a big old show in New York Fashion Week and, and Tommy Hilfiger's Showtime at the Apollo. How are these um, influencers and celebrities changing the runway show? It, celebrities have been at Fashion Week since like early 20th century. We were just doing a story on Patu and he had brought celebrities in from the very beginning and this was in the 1910s. So mm -hmm. that has been part of the original format for a long, long time to drive buzz, but also to get media and outlets that we know only are really interested in the celebrity angle. And of course that still happens now. The difference really is that these celebrities have their own platforms and audiences now. So in terms of the importance of celebrities and influencers to amplify that message and that experience that show that's they're becoming more important than ever of course it used to be that you needed editors to communicate to like your collection and then communicate it out to people that is still part of the formula but it's certainly not I would even say the most important part for a lot of brands anymore because again when you can get the right people sharing that with their audiences it's going to have a much bigger impact but you know as, as you've said this is it's not just who is sitting in your front row anymore you've got celebrities on the runway, collaborating in, on collections uh, and so forth. And, you know, the ability to reach new audiences, a new kind of customer, a younger customer, especially for a brand like Tommy Hilfinger, which has been around for a while. I mean, the, the, the celebrity partnerships he's done there and the timing with Gigi Hadid was so, so good. Mm -hmm. 
um, and it's done a lot for for the repositioning and the the sort of revival around interest in vintage 1990s Tommy Hilfiger as well. Yeah. I feel like some runway shows are becoming real the spectacles. You know, there's the music element and there's the mixed with the celebrity and the the lights and the show that we've seen a, a lot of. Um, do you think that's going to continue? I mean, there's some amazing. I did a story for the Wall Street Journal years ago about the most extravagant shows of all time. You know, it's in like the pyramids in Egypt. So, like <laughs> there have been, or in Great Wall of China. Like there have been some really spectacular venues of the time. And now with cruise shows, it's getting, it's getting even more elaborate. You're flying all these people just for three days. You're th- throwing it in an incredible house and location. And of course, you know these these sets are beautiful. They form so many so much a part of the the photographs. They're not being shared so much. So no, I don't see shows getting less elaborate for now. Although you know, well, the, you know, this season there was much more of a dialogue about, of course, the environmental impact yeah. of these shows. And you, a lot of the editors are saying, I don't. You know, they, they go to the to the cruise collections because they're it's their advertisers um, or a brand that's very important to them. But you know, it's three days of, of travel. It's a lot of carbon. Let's be honest, mm-hmm. and um, and waste for about eight eight minutes of shows. So I think the the industry is really going to have to look at whether that kind of investment, especially around those cruise shows, really makes sense in the next few years with the way the attitudes are changing around the environment. I think that's a really nice segue into our next question, which is, you know, there are increasing concerns about sustainability of, you know, runway shows. We don't actually know the true carbon footprint of of runway. So how do you think this will impact how brands present their collections going forward? I think they're going to talk about it a lot more. Uh, obviously, we saw this season several brands, including Gabrielle Hurst first, say that they had carbon neutral shows. So that was they had made a donation to offset what they had estimated the impact of the show was. That's that's a nice gesture. It's great to see that that those investments are being made. But actually, the the real thing you have to do is how do you actually reduce the impact of these shows? How do you actually cut your emissions, not just offset them? Yeah, because she did some very interesting things, didn't she, with like the food that they offered and using local models. Mm-hmm. Um, it's offsetting. It's not preventing. Yeah. A carbon footprint. Those are still great efforts. And it's great that, you know, designers are asking themselves the question, which is how can I do this better, more sustainably? Like doing local models, for example, it's just that is such a big win versus having to fly people. Like that's a great thing. It, to it see. doesn't have to be huge things, does it? Like you said, using local models, that's presumably not a not a huge uh, challenge for people. Mm-hmm. Um and it's quite an easy win if you want to sort of reduce carbon footprint and things. But the entire industry has to have to query everything that they're doing and how do we start reinventing this in a way that is more environmentally friendly? It probably wasn't a question that a lot of people have asked. I know it's a question we're asking ourselves now at Connie Nass in terms of how we do shoots. And, um, you know, we, we're bringing in sustainability editors that aren't just writing about these things, but also questioning the way that we're, that we're doing everything internally. And how do we do things smarter and more efficiently? Mm-hmm. It's interesting as well when you mentioned obviously kind of cruise collections and them being hosted in far-flung destinations and the impact of flying editors and, you know, um, their ambassadors to watch those shows. And, you know, we've heard obviously new, obviously the other fashion weeks, like whether it's Seoul, Tokyo, Copenhagen, how sustainability may have an impact on fashion weeks in general just outside of those you know key core cities mm-hmm. that'd be interesting i think to, mm-hmm. to see that and maybe what your opinion is on on that there. 
on the on in, in terms of like the niche fashion weeks and whether they can yeah. still exist. I mean, it's a it's a tricky thing. I was thinking about this when I was in Paris. I was like, should we still have New York Fashion Week? Should like Joseph Altazar? Should we all just move everybody to Paris? But then you're either moving the people or you're moving the designers and all of the samples and the models. So there there's definitely a question around that. I mean, some of the smaller fashion weeks are great because they are actually celebrating local design. They aren't flying in again the same numbers that like even like Louis Vuitton does for a cruise show it's not even like I don't think Copenhagen flies that many people in uh, I think again there is a question of you know how do they make sure that they get the most they maximize their reach online because yeah you're not going to be able to fly in tons of people but uh, no I think it's I think they're absolutely great formats for celebrating local design and giving an opportunity and platform to designers who you know can't move their show to London or Paris so in reality, do brands actually see a return on investment from a runway collection or a runway show? It really depends on the brands. Um, if, if you are a brand like, you know, some of the bigger ones like Dolce & Gabbana or Burberry, you are a clothing brand. So yes, they are, they're going to have a show. They're going to have, they have wholesale partners, obviously smaller brands, like they depend on wholesale and making and selling clothes, you know, before they've developed other categories. So there certainly are brands that, that do make money from clothes and that's, that's the business. Um, of course, there are lots of other bigger brands where, you know, ready to wear makes up five percent of sales certainly the runway collection they look at as a cost it communicates the message but ultimately where they're going to be making money is from high margin categories like fragrance and beauty and leather goods yeah so what suggestions would you give smaller brands who are considering holding a runway show i know you'd mentioned earlier about you know the report that you guys did on the true cost of hosting a fashion show what would your suggestions be and insight for those smaller brands I think the question is always, why do you want to show and what do you hope to achieve with that? I think from that same story, one of the things that surprised me most was speaking, you know, our reporter, Fania Sue, who she spoke to an Australian brand called Discount Universe, which doesn't even have a wholesale business. They're direct consumer. Like they spent 300 grand on their show just as a marketing moment. Did they see a return on that investment? Like it was their first show, uh, but I, I, w- I would question whether that was the best use of their money versus what they could have done for customer acquisition on Instagram channels. I don't run their business. I don't know. They are definitely in a better place to make that decision. Uh, but again, I think, yes, try it. Question whether it really works for you and whether that is the best place you can, you can do your spend. If it really is about selling, is it actually about marketing? Is it about reinforcing that relationship with your consumers. I think you have some, everyone wants to show, should you be showing. And you kind of mentioned maximizing um, Instagram. Mm-hmm. Are there other channels or methods that you think could be also great ways to drive brand awareness and customer acquisition? Who, you know, who's your customer? If you're, you know, TB, for example, one third of her business is in APAC, mostly in China. You know, is she, is she definitely making sure that she optimizes those platforms as much if a third of her business is, in China, then you, you're talking about WeChat and Weibo. You're not going to be talking about Instagram. So again, it got really, but it comes back to that essential thing, which is know your customer, know where they want to interact with you and make sure that you're on those platforms. So what's the most impactful thing that brands can do on Instagram to drive engagement and awareness? There are so many brands with completely different strategies that work really well for them. You know, like looking at Everlane, for example, and how that they use this platform to reinforce their mission on transparency. That dialogue they have with consumer is very different than a much more visual brand that is going to use that as a platform to share 
you know, their aesthetic and the things that interest them. I think for us, you know, Vogue Business on Instagram, which we launched in January, for us in being on all these, sort of launching on all these different social media platforms all at once, and our next platform will be WeChat. Uh, but it's, you know, it's so important to define your proposition and what experience do you want your audience to have with you on that feed. So for us, we really think of Instagram, particularly the feed, as learning moments. Mm -hmm. So for us, we are very data-driven as a publication. On Instagram, we really want to drive that home, that we are a source for objective information, and we want people, when they're scrolling in their feeds and they're seeing fun stuff, to stop for a moment to see maybe a chart showing that menswear sales are growing so much more, or so much faster than women's wear sales. They might stop for a moment and be like, huh, that's like an interesting thing. They'll get a little bit of data and they'll move on, but maybe they'll bring that up in conversation or will trigger them to then go do more research on that topic. For us, that, that is really important. And it's, it's something that we, would, we don't do on any of our other platforms, but for Instagram, that makes sense. You know, conversely with Instagram stories, that is a, a different experience because that's actually a linear storytelling format. So we think about how do we, the way that we do storytelling on our website, for example, how do we then use the story format through multiple clips to tell a linear narrative? So I think these platforms, there are so many different opportunities to tell different kinds of stories. I would encourage people to think about that when they're using it. So Lauren, what do you think the next five years will bring in retail and fashion? The biggest thing we're looking at is China. Uh, by 2025, Bain estimates that they will be 46% of the personal luxury goods market. So when you think that one of every two luxury products sold will be to a Chinese person, more and with more of those sales now taking place to Chinese people in China, not shopping in Paris or London as is historically. So to see those sales are going to shift massively geographically, that's going to upend the whole industry. Uh, and also, you know, designers are now thinking not just about designing for a more global audience. I think we've seen a lot of headlines in the last year about when that doesn't go so well. So there's a huge education element that's happening because their customer is no longer American or European. Their customer is Chinese. So how do you actually start serving that market better? Uh, Climate change, I mean, that's it. The, the awareness and the interest and the urgency that we've seen around that in the last few years uh, is now very top of mind for fashion industry. Of course, there are other industries that are also incredibly polluting, but everyone has a relationship with fashion. So fashion is in the limelight. It means that we're going to see a lot of government regulation around supply chains coming. Um, again, because fashion is, is part of pop culture, it's in the eye. Yes, oil and steel and the aviation industry will all come under fire, but people see fashion is wasteful. It will come, we will get a lot more scrutiny than other industries. And the, you know, it's similar to when uh, Napster disrupted music. I think people will see fashion have to go through this first and the rest of the world will be watching to see how that's going to impact their industry. Uh, You know, climate change is going to, again, it's going to change everything from supply chains. So when you think about Bloomberg terminals and now they're helping uh, companies understand where their supply chains are now at risk because of what's happening with climate, uh, that's going to change where people produce things and how they produce them. Secondly, it's going to change people's buying habits. We all have guilt about flying. 
and I shouldn't say we all, a lot of Westerners now have a lot of guilt about flying and the clothing that they're buying and they're really questioning those decisions and their habits. Uh, and that's gonna again, have a really big impact on the industry. Uh, some exciting things, I think, you know, the, in the industry's embrace of things like data and AI is making companies smarter. It's making those experiences more personal. I'm personally really excited to see what predictive analytics can do around reducing the amount of clothing that we're actually creating that yeah. doesn't sell, that ends up in landfill. So how, how can we actually start using technology more to fulfill sustainability needs? Uh, end of ownership is something that we've been watching really closely. Yes, we see the rise of rental and resale. I think, you know, companies like Rent the Runway are really interesting. I'm also really interested just to see teenagers, they're buying, they're going on a secondhand site, they're buying a Gucci phone case for 160 euros, yeah. they're using it for six months, and they're selling it for 120 euros back on the same website. That's not that's not rental technically, but they are really renting and it's making them, you know, I see a shift where there's not that same emphasis on newness now yeah. or having the new thing, but also the sense of temporary ownership that I'm, they're not always thinking this is the wardrobe I'm building for my life. This is the thing that I want now, but I eventually will give it back into the system. Uh, I'm really, really excited to see younger people embracing that. And then also resale and refurbishment. I mean, we've seen, we've seen companies like Patagonia, they're taking back clothes, they're refurbishing it, they're putting it up on their website. We're seeing younger designers do that now, like Marquez Almeida is just, they have just launched the exact same program on their website. These brands, a lot of their early collections are really sought after, but if they're taking things back in, repairing them, selling them, I mean, I saw Patagonia do it and I was like, that makes sense for a big yeah. brand to see the smaller designers do that as well. I mean, that could be an entire stream. revenue stream. Thanks so much, Lauren, for joining us today. We're looking forward to seeing where the runway is going to head in 2020 and how it evolves. You've been a wonderful guest. And thank you for listening to Unedited. If you've enjoyed today's conversation with Lauren, make sure you subscribe to keep in the loop with upcoming episodes. It would make our day if you could rate, review or subscribe to us. You can get in touch at unedited at edited.com or tweet us at edited underscore HQ. Bye. Bye.